1: Plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim for the new year. 2024 is here and we are reviewing Dream Scenario.
1: I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff,
0: and I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist,
1: and we love to talk all things movies. Now, in Dream Scenario, insecure, hapless family man Paul finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. But when his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul Fine's fame comes with serious downsides.
0: That's right. Dream Scenario is written and directed by Christopher Borgley, who is a Norwegian director that brought us sick of myself.
1: And Dream Scenario stars the one and only Nicolas Cage, Julianne Nicholson, Michael Cera, Tim Meadows, Dylan Gallulia, and Dylan
0: Baker. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan.
1: Just a couple of Dylans.
0: A couple of Dylans in there. Uh, so, this film, the premise is about this easily forgettable guy, right, who feels overlooked in every aspect of his life. Uh, but the juxtaposition is that then suddenly everyone is dreaming of this nobody.
1: What a brilliant, brilliant premise and concept, right? It's
0: interesting, isn't it? I found it really, really interesting. And so, Paul is just loving life as a celebrity, even though this is so weird and random. Yeah. But then very suddenly the downsides of fame become
1: apparent. I love what this film is asking of its audience because what would you do if you suddenly became the most famous person in the world? Mm. And it explores the the phenomenon that we're living and breathing right now. This film and the commentary is so current. It's like the phenomenon of going viral mm. and how that leads to the exploitation of yourself and others and others. It's asking yeah. really big questions in a, in a really clever way.
0: And and it's interesting where the story idea came from because it's it's inspired actually by professors that Christopher Borgley had read about who had been fired and claimed that the students were just fabricating stories about them uh, for whatever reason mm. and then they go on this rant defending themselves and it's very narcissistic it's not apologetic at all and they're basically just blaming everyone else for their own failings which is Mm. who paul is at the very beginning of the film he's unpublished his career isn't really where he wants it to be and that's everyone else's fault
1: yes so the lens that we get in his character is someone who is painfully uninteresting like on on (laughs) paper but he has quote unquote like a wife and two daughters and he's an, he's an intellect. So you're thinking, okay, well that's great. But he somehow rubs people the wrong way and how he goes about his perception of life, yeah. right? People just, distance himself from him because he's so boring and uninteresting, but he always tries, yeah, to find a way to, but but it's not me. It's not me. Yeah.
0: But also quite needy. I think that's what turns people off. He's quite needy for attention and admiration. And then he finally gets it. And the downside of the fame is that it's unwanted attention Mm. in the end.
1: It's, Such a great satire and you know how much I love satire and there Mm. seems to be like one or two really, really neat satires that come out uh, over the last couple of years. And and this is one of the best I've seen in a long time. Mm. Our obsession with celebrity is another area that this movie explores how we love the rise of someone, Mm. but gosh, we love the fall of them even more don't we?
0: Yep. And everyone gets pulled into this cancel culture and which is very apparent lately. Another thing this film touches on is the, the Mandela effect. I don't know if many people know what this is. Do you know what the Mandela effect is?
1: Yes, I do. How fascinating. Yeah.
0: So the Mandela effect is, is false memories that for unexplained reasons, a large number of people or a group of individuals believe happened. And there's a couple of examples of this mainly in pop culture, but one of them is that Mickey Mouse wears suspenders. Mm. But he doesn't. He just wears shorts. He just has shorts. Yeah, yeah. One that I actually got sucked up into was um, that American stand-up Sinbad, the comedian. Oh yes, was was in a '90s movie called Shazam, where he played a genie. And I have the most vivid recollections of this film, but apparently never happened.
1: Never happened. How bizarre. doesn't exist. Another favorite of mine with the Mandela effect is the Monopoly man, and whether he does or doesn't wear a monocle, right? Isn't that one of them? Doesn't he have one? He he does or doesn't wear a monocle. Some people have clear recollection that he does, others he doesn't, and you look and it's like, oh, no, he, he doesn't. doesn't have one.
0: Wow. Another one is in Snow White, the way that mirror, mirror on the wall is quoted. It, she doesn't oh. actually say that. She says magic mirror on the wall, but people say mirror, mirror.
1: What? <laughs> she yeah. says magic mirror on the
0: wall? She does. Go back and listen. Oh, oh. Apparently. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going insane.
1: I didn't know that one. There you go. Oh shit.
0: So this is a really interesting thing that's explored in this film, this Mandela effect that all of a sudden these people are all having the same dream. Well, not the same dream. It's a different different dreams, but mm. all with Paul just benignly standing in the background or walking through their dream.
1: Yeah, see, that's one of my favorite things about the dream scenarios themselves, right? Is that he presents as disengaged in his real life in the dream scenario as well? He Mm. literally doesn't do anything no. and the, the context of these dreams is that these people need help, need rescuing, they're sort of mm. desa- things are falling down, things aren't going great in their environment and he's just there showing up, not doing mm. anything and what I love where you bring in that sprinkle of satire is the fact that he <laughs> he's offended by the fact that <laughs> he, doesn't do, he <laughs> doesn't do anything in the dream it's like he can't control that but he's so offended and people judge him for that. Yeah. So it's fucking wild. It's Another weird.
0: thing that I really really love about that though is that Nicholas Cage is so fucking talented that he can oh. walk that line of satire where it's not silly and funny and it's not I mean it's slightly unsettling but he's not creepy he's just mm. there like you don't realize how talented you have to be as an actor to be able to walk that thin line that you're not creepy you're not unsettling you're just there And people may think that doesn't take any talent whatsoever, but it takes an incredible amount of talent to walk that line.
1: Absolutely. And it just proves how much Nicolas Cage relishes in nuance when it comes to performances and characters that are left of centre that he makes his own. Mm. And it's not Nick Cage on screen yet. Somehow it is Nick Cage on screen because it it can only be Nick Cage – he, he has said himself that this is the best uh, role that he's ever played or the best film that he's ever been in. Really? Yeah. Yeah, like he, he's really, really, really proud of this movie and for audiences to see it.
0: And the film goes through these phases as the story goes on where it's like starts off very banal mm. and then it kind of moves into funny and then it moves into violent and graphic and really dark yeah. really quickly.
1: Yeah, the tonal shift is quite sharp. Isn't it? But it's almost the only way that it can go.
0: But not jarring. It's not unsettling. It works really well. Things change. This is an
1: unexplained phenomenon, this dream scenario, this man who all around the world is showing up in people's dreams and no one has any explanation. Mm. And there doesn't need to be an explanation. It doesn't matter. There's no why. It's just like... Like, how does it play out? How, what's the reaction mm. of people, of him? And then when things start to change and how he shows up in people's dreams, you just keep leaning further and further in going, my gosh, where is this going? Yeah, And how are people going to react and deal with this? It's just brilliant.
0: Yeah, because the dreams are so unpredictable. And I think what Christopher mm. Borgley as a filmmaker does so well is create these dream scenarios. And you must think, like, how fun would it have been from a filmmaking perspective to create all of these fantastical scenarios. Like your imagination can just run wild, but they also feel really real, like really rooted in reality, like a dream that you could have.
1: I was so impressed with how they visually and audibly translated the idea of dreams into cinema because there are some dreams that you have, right? I don't know. Do you remember your dreams often or vividly? Uh, yeah, sometimes, yeah. So what? how this was shown up in the movie was it really felt like something tangible, like, oh, that felt like, a really vivid dream I woke up to once. Yes, uh, just how it plays out.
0: One of the ones that really struck a chord with me was the, uh, the teeth falling out. <laughs> Someone was talking, and his teeth was falling out. That I have that dream. That's my recurring stress dream. Is is teeth falling out?
1: Oh god, that's so grimly. Yeah, but
0: they talk about that. That's maybe worried about finances.
1: <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> Well, why do your teeth fall out? The dentist is expensive. That's not helping you in your <laughs> no. subconscious either.
0: Exactly. Exactly. But you're right. They just feel like dreams that you could realistically have. And what they get right in that as well is that reality never lives up to the fantasy, right? So, there's mm. some dreams that are a little bit saucy in this, shall we say. Uh, there's a sex dream that that plays out in a really unfortunate and absolutely hilarious way. I don't want to give too much away, but it is one of the funniest scenes I think I've seen on film for a long time.
1: It's so good. And again, it just pulls from the idea of like, look, we've all had those sexy dreams, right? (laughs) And the, and the fantasy of it. And you think it's asked that question and it literally puts these characters in the reality of, let's see what it's like in, in real life. (laughs) Is it going to give me the same feeling and experience? Is it going to ruin my relationship with them, my perception, like whatever. And again, we won't say anything else, but it's ju- it just goes there. This movie goes there to explore these things yeah. that we've all thought about and considered and in just really, really compelling ways.
0: And that's another moment that really shows what Nicolas Cage can do as an actor because he completely embodies both sides of the coin in the mm. really sexy part of the dream and how it plays out and it's like it should be really fucking creepy <laughs> this this fantasy but it is actually really hot and then when it goes into reality he just so completely embodies both sides of the coin that he's just so awkward and that's when you see when you see the comparison of those two moments really close together it just highlights what an incredible actor he is
1: he's a fearless actor yeah Because any actor being presented with those two pages of script, the same scenario played out in different contexts. You'd be like, I can't pull this off. There's a lot of pressure. This could go either way. It's got to be utterly convincing. He is... Fearless.
0: Yep. And he doesn't play it in a cheesy comical way, but it is funny. But it's hilarious.
1: It's like you are just wincing, but then also like give me and show me more. Like it's one of my favourite scenes of of the year.
0: I was just so impressed with his work in that moment in particular. And in this film, he's also really dialed down the mania that is so often associated with Nick Cage. But you can see unique hints of his style that pop through every, every now and then just a little bit.
1: Yeah, but they're, they're peppered perfectly and it works so well in how he's portraying the character of Paul. Like, it, it works. You do see those familiar flavours, but it's reserved and used at the right amount of times. Like, that nos in the car to get that extra edge, mm. you know, <laughs> in the lane. Like, it's just really well done. I, I, I want to talk about Nick Cage's aesthetic in this. Mm. His nose... Was different. There's a prosthetic nose. Mm. You know, the hair is quite shabby and dishevelled. How did you think that helped his character in terms of how he showed up physically?
0: Yeah, I mean, they really played into that whole Paul is a nobody. He's a everyman, but a bit of a bit of a schlub. They call it, I think, a bit of a mm. schmo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you know, you're watching Nick's Cage. Like, there's no way around it. He's trying to lose himself completely in the role. It doesn't it's hard to explain. It doesn't make you feel like you're watching Nicolas Cage like you do lose yourself in the performance and the character. But there's no way to hide Nicolas Cage really, is there?
1: Not even behind a prosthetic nose, no. But he's such a great physical actor. There's these nuances to how he like moved his head, these like little ticks from time to time, his laugh Mm. even his voice work was quite High pitch than we normally have. Yeah, a little bit whiny. Yes, just really considered choices uh, physically. Which again, we just we're just like bowing down, kissing Nick Cage's feet. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's he's just a master at work.
0: Um, and he's playing opposite Julianne Nicholson, who we've seen in uh, Blonde, who played Marilyn Monroe's uh, mother, I think Gladys. Oh, you're right. That's right. Yep, and Mayor of East Town. Um, she's. Paul's bored wife. She's kind of bored of him, isn't she? She
1: she is bored. And she uh, irks on the side of caution when this whole thing starts to blow up because she can kind of see where it can go and how he might get exploited and how excited he is. But mm. in the same breath, she's kind of turned on by the idea as well. <laughs> and there's some really great sort of two-hand scenes like that yeah. where... It's just interesting how this scenario affects people's reaction to it and how they use it to their own advantage. Yeah. Just a really nice commentary on that.
0: I thought it was strange the way their relationship plays out in terms of the story and the, and the screenplay. Towards the third act, the film did start to drag, I felt, and that was when oh, okay. it, that's when it became very focused on their relationship and it went into this sort of eccentric arena of dream fluences, the satirical thing of how people are going to advertise within your dreams Mm. (laughs) and how content is everywhere at the moment, but also in the future could be in your dreams, forced upon you in your dreams.
1: The whole commercialization of dreaming, right? Mm. Which is an interesting concept. We talked about the tonal shift sort of partway through the movie and that element of it, was quite a one eighty, and at first I found it quite abrupt and abrasive. Mm. But I guess how the film came to a head altogether, I think it worked. It made sense, and I enjoyed it more than I thought I would because it did irate me a little bit at first. Mm. Do you do you think it? It worked, or do you, or do you think it wasn't? It just it made a very different choice than you're expecting.
0: It it felt out of place in what the film was. I think to me, when it devolved into that third act, I I, I did feel like it was out of place. Mm. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me the whole commercialization of dreams. It reminded me of when U two forced their new album to everyone's iPhone.
1: Oh, my God, how we forget?
0: Do you remember? And everyone was outraged. I was outraged too. I felt like an invasion of privacy. And in mm. the film, I guess, people are inviting that in because they're wearing a device that allows people to come into their dreams or allows you to go into other people's dreams. Mm. But, yeah, the, the double-edged sword of that is that you can get all these advertisements and, and, and things which would, I don't know, it felt like a different movie at that point to me.
1: It did. I totally hear you. I just settled into it a little more than I than I thought I would. It kind of worked as the as the mm-hmm. whole thing together. It's so funny that you bring up the U2 thing. I'll never forget that. Those poor poor guys, <laughs> the biggest band in the world offering music to yeah. the world for free and everyone's like, "Fuck,
0: I don't want this. What's this? Where did this yeah. come from? Where's my consent?" And the irony is that I probably would have bought that album anyway. Sure. But to have it forced upon you felt, yeah, like like an invasion of privacy, like <laughs> where's the consent, as you said?
1: You just never know how people are going to react, but more often than not, it's how you go about something than the act itself. Because mm. like you said, you would have been very receptive to a new U two album if you had the choice to download or buy it yourself, not <laughs> like open up your phone and there it, there it is. And you're yeah. like, out of this get here. <laughs>
0: yeah. But now, um, you know, with the proliferation of iPhones and technology everywhere, something like that probably nobody would blink twice at now.
1: That's right. That's right. It's just a moment in time where, yeah, if that happened today, yep, it would just be accepted and people would move on. Absolutely.
0: Who else have we got in this film? We have Michael Sarah, I guess is worth mentioning. He's an annoying kind of agent type marketing person, I guess.
1: (laughs) That character kind of from the PR machine leans into the world of exploitation and, the, the, not listening to people's plight, what they're what they're trying to say, how it might impact them. It's literally just the spin. Mm. It's literally the potential for money. It's how it can be exploited. And he he's a lot of fun in in this movie. I think I quite liked those scenes.
0: Yeah, he is. But my notes just say Michael Sarah is playing Michael Sarah.
1: <laughs> yeah, speaking of typecast, I guess yeah, Michael Sarah does struggle to separate himself from being Michael. Sarah, um, <laughs> but but it's it worked here, it for, me, here. Yeah, it worked for me. I guess it worked for me.
0: Yeah. Have we covered everything that we want to talk about about dream scenario? Should we tell our listener why we should go and see the film?
1: I couldn't agree.
0: more. Well, don't write dream scenario off as a weird indie film. Please don't. Just sink into Nick Cage's dream performance, which is another career high for the actor who has been doing some of his best work in recent years. Come for Nick Cage and stay for the visually arresting fun and one of film's most awkward and impressively performed sex scenes. I'm going to give dream scenario four popcorn kernels out of five.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Just stay, stay for that at least. Uh, Dream Scenario is one of my favourite films of the year. Heck, it could be my number one. I loved every part of this movie, from its deeply original premise to Nick Cage's best performance in decades. The story is sharp, unpredictable, and holds a mirror up to society about our unhealthy lust for notoriety and everything that comes with it. Another satirical classic. I can't wait to see what writer-director Christopher Bergley delivers next. I am waiting and ready. I'm going to rate Dream Scenario, Lee. I loved it. I'm giving out five, five popcorn kernels. A
0: perfect film, you reckon?
1: Perfect film. I just lapped everything up about it.
0: Well, there you go, listener. Dream Scenario is in Australian cinemas from January 1.
1: And as always, friends, thank you so much for listening.
0: We'll catch you next time. Come and join in the conversation. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast.